as we continue to follow God's unbroken story in the scriptures this morning. We've come to Genesis chapter 12. If you want to go ahead and be turning there in just a moment. As we get there this morning, see, we're talking about God keeps his promises today. We've been singing a lot about faith. As I think about faith today, I thought back to the first time that I went to church camp as a student. I think I was in eighth or ninth grade. It was centrifuge camp at Carson Newman University in Jefferson City, Tennessee. And every day we would go out on the rec field for our time out there, recreation. And on this day, they split us into teams and they explained the next activity to us. There was basically in our teams, each team had one stump. It was a post of some sort or something that one person from each team was going to stand on with their back to the rest of the team, right? And everybody else on the team was going to line up behind them with their arms outstretched. And then if the person standing on the stump trusted those behind them, then they were going to fall and their teammates were going to catch them, right? It would have been one thing to say that I trusted the other eighth graders that were in my group to catch me, to trust them with my life. It would have been easy to say that, but it was a different thing to actually do it, right? Actually to fall backwards and to trust that they would catch me. But that's what we did. Many of you have done that same thing. And as we think about that, it's a test of our faith in that moment. Will we actually fall? You know, when we trust someone, it changes the way we act around that person. When we have faith in someone, there are moments when our faith gets tested. And whether or not we really trust them gets Revealed, And we see that this morning as we look at God's word together. We've been looking at the unbroken story of what God is doing in the world. And we started at the very beginning. We said God creates with purpose for his glory and our good. That there's not a choice that we have to make between what's best for us, what gives us the greatest joy, and what brings God the greatest glory. Those two things go hand in hand because God created us to walk with him in a relationship with him and to reflect his character. But we saw last week that Adam and Eve believed Satan's lie, that there was a choice to be made between their greatest joy and God's good design. And so they turned away from God and his will and his plan. They disobeyed. And ever since that day, sin has meant brokenness everywhere we look in this world, in our hearts, in our relationships, even this world in which we live. But ever since that day, we saw also last week that God gives grace to the fallen. And he still does that today. So God creates with purpose. He gives grace to the fallen. Today we see God keeps his promises. We're going to look today at the story of Abram, who later on in his life becomes known as Abraham. And there's about 12 chapters we're going to cover today in the life of Abram. So we better get into it this morning, starting in Genesis chapter 12. Verse 1 says this, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went as the Lord had told him and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. And Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered, and the people that they had acquired in Iran, and they set out to go to the land of Canaan. 
When they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to a place at Shechem to the oak of Moreh. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there he moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. And Abram journeyed on, still going toward the Negev. We see here that just like his work in creating the world, God's work in Abram's life begins with him just speaking a word. The Lord says to Abram, go. We've already seen in the opening chapters of the Bible that we have a God whose word corresponds to action. And so when the Lord speaks to Abram here, he intends for his word to produce action in Abram's life. He tells him, leave his country, leave his family, leave his father's house, go to a new land the Lord would show him. There's a calling in verse 1, but there's also a promise there that the Lord would show Abram a new land, a new place to call home. The Lord calls Abram to leave everything, to leave everyone he knows, and he calls him to go before he even tells him exactly where he's going, promising he'll show him when he gets there. The call to go is a, place, is a call to faith. It's an invitation to trust the promises of God. As God speaking, then as he speaks to our hearts this morning, calling us to trust his promises. That's what God does. He calls us to trust his promises. And the first promise that God makes to Abram is the land in which to dwell. And as we keep on reading, another verse brings up another promise. Verse 2, God promises to make of Abram a great nation. And then another promise, God will bless Abram. But lest Abram and us get confused about who God is and how he's working and what his purposes are in the world, the Lord tells Abram that the blessing isn't just for him, but it's that through him all the families, all the nations of the earth would be blessed. These promises seem like large promises, like unfathomably big promises, and that's because they are. These promises, as we'll see even more as we go, they're bold, and we would even say that from our human perspective and in our strength, these promises that God makes to Abram are impossible. But that's where we need to recognize something else about the content of God's promises, and that is that God's promises are not based in our ability. They are not based in our character. They're based in God's character and in who he is, right? There have been and there still are people who like to claim God's promises for their own purposes and interpret them according to their own character and their own desires, but God's promises aren't based in what we want or who we are. They're based in who he is and what he is doing in the world. And so when God calls us to trust his promises, he's calling us to trust in him. He's calling us to trust him completely. I mean, in our lives, as we make promises to one another, right, we've all been burned by people who didn't keep their promises, right? And if we're honest, we've all been that person who didn't keep a promise. And we know that that's because at times we're just unable to keep our word. We're unable to live up to the word that we have spoken. But over time, as we walk with one another, as we walk in relationship with people, hopefully over time, our trust in them grows rather than being diminished as we see over time that our words and our actions flow out of our character. And the same is true with the Lord, except that when God promises, 
He always keeps it. When he promises to show Abram a land in which to dwell, when he promises to make Abram a great nation, when he promises to bless all the nations of the earth through Abram, God is showing Abram the kind of God that he is. He's telling Abram what his purposes are, what his plans are, what his heart is for this world, that he would once again be able to dwell with those he created in his image, that he would once again walk with people as they walk in his purposes, as they trust him and follow him, that all the families of the earth would be invited to enjoy that blessing. God's telling Abram that he is a God whose purposes and his plans for the world are unbroken. He's telling Abram he's a God who is gracious toward all people. God calls Abram to trust his promises and he calls us to do the same. And Abram, as we look at his life, shows us what faith looks like, what genuine faith looks like. It's more than just saying that we agree. It's more than just acknowledging the truth of what God has said. It's more than just words. We know that because we aren't even told here in this chapter that Abram said anything in response to God's call to trust his promises. But we know that Abram trusted God's promises because what we see in verse For Abram went as the Lord had told him. Abram went as the Lord had told him. Faith affects our behavior. And one of the great cinematic masterpieces of my lifetime, we can see this to be true. There's a line in a movie that I love that shows this to be true. It's a line that's repeated twice in that movie. It's a line on which the entire storyline hinges. It's repeated at a couple of moments of powerful emotion and critical decision. That line is, do you trust me? Do you trust me? Some of y'all know what movie I'm talking about. Maybe you don't, but you might once I tell you what it is. You may remember when Aladdin looked at Princess Jasmine and said, do you trust me? Right, first time, they're on the run from the palace guards trying to escape, right? And he says, do you trust me? She puts his hand in his and they go escaping the guards. Next time he says, do you trust me? She puts his hand in his and gets on the magic carpet with him. Maybe we should sing a whole new world this morning just to get us on the right track. No, that's not what we're going to do. The point of that is that it wasn't just that she said she trusted him. It's that action follows faith. So we think this morning about what it looks like to trust someone We know that faith can be difficult for us to describe because it isn't something we actually see. It isn't actually visible, but its effects in our life are. Its product is. Abram's faith in the Lord and his promises were made evident by his obedience to the Lord's calling. Abram went, set out to the land of Canaan. Faith moves in the direction of the promises of God, promises that are clearly based on God's character and his ability, not on ours, because at this point, Abram was already 75 years old. And we'll soon learn that Sarai, his wife, wasn't much younger, yet God said he would make Abram's descendants a great nation too big to number. And as Abram came to the land of Canaan, there were already people there living in the land that God said he would give to them. And yet God still says he would give Abram the land. These are not easy promises without any obstacles to their fulfillment. But there's Abram trusting the Lord, walking in his promises, as unlikely as they might have seemed from his perspective in that moment. And as unlikely as they might seem at times from our perspective, God calls us to trust his promises. And when we trust someone, then we go with them. And when we go with someone, When we walk in relationship with them, 
we get a clearer picture of who they are. God calls us to trust his promises. And that's what Abram does, sort of, right? Most of the time, at least. As we look, Abram went as the Lord had told him to go, but as we get into the second half of chapter 12, we almost immediately see Abraham's faith faltering. The Lord made promises and Abram trusted, but then a famine comes on the land. Abram and Sarai travel to Egypt to find food, and as they're traveling, Abram reasons in his mind that Sarai is so beautiful that the Egyptians, when they see her and see how beautiful she is, that they will kill Abram so that they can have Sarai for themselves. And Abram is thinking here, if I'm dead, then there's no nation, right? There's no land. There's no blessing like God has promised. And so Abram devises a plan and shares it with his wife. We'll tell them, you're my sister, and Pharaoh will treat us both well. Abram had a habit that some of us often share. Abram had a habit of trying to help God do what God said he would do in ways that God hasn't asked us to help. God's promises are based in his holy character as one who is faithful and always true to his word. And here's Abram lying to try to help ensure God's promises. God called Abram to go. He called Abram to trust his promises, but Abram's faith falters, not because God was unfaithful, but because Abram was trusting in himself and in his power instead of the Lord's. And yet God was patient with him. He was merciful because God's promises were never based on Abram's character, but on his, God is faithful. To his word. He's faithful even when we are not. And so, even as Abram tried to deceive Pharaoh, God protects Abram and Sarai. And you might think here that Abram would have learned his lesson from what happened here with Pharaoh, but eight chapters later in Genesis 20, we'll see him do the same thing again, this time with Abimelech. As we walk through the Old Testament, right? We look at people like Abram. Sometimes we want those people always to be heroes that we can always just model our lives on and always just follow their example. But that isn't always what we see. Sometimes as we look at these pages, as we look at people like Abram, what we see is a lot more like a mirror. Abram's actions here, they seem ridiculous, really, as we think of it in light of how big God's promises are. These promises were not something that Abram was ever going to be able to deliver on his own, and yet here he is trying to help God keep his promise because he feared the promise was in jeopardy. It seemed like time was running out or that the threats were too great, and yet God is faithful, even when we are not. God promised to make Abram a great nation. But by the time we come to Genesis chapter 16, Abram's already been There are 10 years living in the land of Canaan. And we read in 16, verse 1, Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. She had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar, and Sarai said to Abram, Behold, now the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go into my servant. It may be that I shall obtain children by her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. The Lord made a promise. But it hadn't happened yet. And so this time, Sarai is the one who looks for a way to help God do what he had promised to do. She looks and says, Abram's getting old, and if he doesn't have a son soon, if he doesn't have a son now, this probably isn't going to happen. And so she suggests that Abram take Hagar as a wife. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarai instead of the voice of the Lord who had repeated the promise to him right before this in chapter 15. 
repeated the promise that Abram would have offspring as numerous as the stars, and yet Abram takes Hagar as his wife, and she conceives a son. And at that moment, then, having for herself what Sarai had desired for so long, we're told that Hagar looks on Sarai with contempt, looks down on her, and ultimately winds up having to flee from the house because of the conflict that ensues. And we see in the unfaithfulness of these people, the brokenness all around them. We see it in the broken trust between Abram and Sarai. We see it in the contempt with which Hagar looks on Sarai. We see it in Abram, who really just wants to wash his hands of all this, right? Saying, like, this is between you and Hagar, Sarai. This is between you all. He just wants to stay out of it. But we see also that God is faithful, even when we are not, because As we read on, as Hagar flees, and as she winds up sitting, pregnant and alone, by a spring in the wilderness, the Lord finds her. The Lord finds her, and the Lord makes a promise to Hagar in Genesis chapter 16, verse 10, that sounds a lot like the promise that he had given to Abraham. Chapter 16, verse 10 says, The angel of the Lord also said to her, I will surely multiply your offspring so that they cannot be numbered for multitude. And Hagar responds just down in verse 13. says, So she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her, You are a God of seeing. For she said, Truly here, I have seen him who looks after me. This morning, you may feel a lot like Hagar. You may have at times in your life been treated as disposable, or just felt like you were used as a means to an end, you may have felt overlooked or forgotten or completely alone. And you may feel that way this morning, but God's purposes and God's promises in your life are not threatened by the unfaithfulness in your past, whether that's your own unfaithfulness or that of someone else in your life who has harmed you. Know this morning that what was true in Hagar's life is true in your life, that you have a God who sees you, a God who looks after you. No matter how alone you feel, God can find you, and he is faithful when we are not. And so through it all, through all the failures of Abram and Sarai to trust the Lord's promises, we see God remains faithful. The question is, will we trust his promises? Right? God remained true. He didn't change. His promises didn't shift. When God said again and again that he would make Abram a great nation, he meant it. And so we come to chapter 17, and God makes this everlasting covenant with Abraham and changes his name to Abraham. And he says it again here in chapter 17, verse 4, Behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham, for I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. At this point, God said it three times now. And he gets even more specific. Sarai, who will now be called Sarah, will be the one through whom Abraham's great nation will come. Even though Abraham is 100 years old, Sarah will bear his son. Sarah laughs at this thought, that she would have a son at the age of 90 with a husband who is already 100. It's laughable. It's absurd. It is impossible. Except for the one who promised it. 
Abraham and Sarah didn't always do it perfectly, but they trusted God's promise. They left everything and they went as the Lord commanded them, as he said. But we also see in their lives time when their faith was weak and their hearts went astray. But even when they didn't do what faith called them to do, we see that God did what he said he would do. And so in Genesis 21, verse 1, we read of the promise of God fulfilled. The Lord visited Sarah as he had said. The Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the time of which God had spoken to him. Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him whom Sarah bore him Isaac. And Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old as God had commanded him. Abram was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. And Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh over me. And she said, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. God gave Abraham and Sarah a son, Isaac, just as he had promised. God keeps his promises to us because of his character, not ours. God is faithful even when we are not. Now that doesn't mean that we just live our lives without ever trusting God. We don't use God's faithfulness as an excuse for unbelief or as a license to rebel and sin against him, no. As we look at the story of Abraham and Sarah, what we see is a story is that over time, their faith in God grows stronger the longer they walk with him, the longer they see his faithfulness in their lives to the point that we come to Genesis chapter 22 to a well-known story of Abraham and Isaac. Genesis chapter 22 begins this way. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. And he said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac, and he cut the wood for the burnt offering, and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on on Isaac, his son. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So they went, both of them, together. And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father. And he said, here I am, my son. He said, behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went, both of them, together. For a quarter of a century at this point, Abraham imperfectly followed the Lord. He left everything and everyone he knew, and he went to a new place because he trusted God's promises. He trusted in the Lord. And over that quarter of a century, God had shown up time and time again. 
At this point, Abraham had walked with God for 25 years, and so Abraham's faith in the Lord is a trust that's built on the long track record of the Lord's faithfulness. And that is the context in which God comes to Abraham, Abraham in this moment and tests him and tells him to take Isaac, the beloved son, which God had long promised him to the mountain to offer him as a sacrifice. It seems crazy, and it raises a lot of questions, and rightly so. I mean, how could a good God give such a command to sacrifice a child? It's that the kind of God that the Lord is? We're given some insights here that it isn't clear that Abraham had. We know that the Lord was testing Abraham in this moment. But even at that, right, how could Abraham think that God would, the God that he'd followed all these years, the God that he'd seen and known and trusted, that that God was capable of requiring something like this from him? What we see here is God demanding everything of Abraham, his beloved son and the promises of God. All of it would seem to be on the line in this moment if Isaac is sacrificed as the Lord says. We've seen Abraham hesitate before when God's promises appeared to be in jeopardy, telling lies and trying to help God out. But here his response is just as radical as God's command. He got up early in the morning, he got Isaac, he got wood for the offering, and he went where God told him to go. Abraham did here when God demanded everything of him, exactly what he did when God had promised him everything back in chapter 12. He trusted the promises of God. He did as the Lord had told him. He didn't know why, he didn't know how, he didn't know when, but he knew that God would keep his promises. And so Abraham and Isaac walked together with the wood for the burnt offering laid on Isaac. And when Isaac asked where the lamb is for the burnt offering, Abraham answers him in faith, God will provide. Abraham believed this to be true, that God demands all we have and provides all we need. As we pick the story back up in verse 9, we see when they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham, and he said, here I am. And he said, here I am. And he said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day on the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. As we read from our vantage point with the full revelation of scripture available to us this morning, the image of Abraham raising, his, raising a knife to sacrifice his son is disturbing to say the least. God does not condone child sacrifice. We know from the rest of the scriptures that he abhors it, but Abraham didn't have the whole Bible in front of him on that day like we are blessed to have today. Thankfully, in Hebrews chapter 11, 
The Holy Spirit tells us, gives us a glimpse into what was going through Abraham's mind in that moment that he raised the knife. The Holy Spirit tells us in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 17, by faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. Abraham believed that God demands all we have and provides all we need. He didn't know how it would happen, but he knew that God had promised him that he would be a great nation, that it would come through his son Isaac. He knew that somehow, some way, God would do what he said he would do. And by the way, we see here God does just that, does he not? Right on time, the angel of the Lord calls to Abraham and stops him. Abraham withheld nothing from the Lord, and when he looks up, he sees a ram for the burnt offering, and he calls the place the Lord will provide because God demands all we have and provides all we need. We see that in Abraham's life, and we see how God's plan and purposes are unbroken to this day because when our faith is put to the test and God's promises seem to be at stake, God demands all we have and provides all we need. Just look at Jesus. Hear his words in Luke chapter 14, verse 26 and 27. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Jesus demands all we have, all that we are. He demands that we come and follow him. Is Jesus literally calling us to hate our families here? What he's saying here is that by comparison to our love for Jesus, our love for our families should look like hatred in comparison. He's saying there's no relationship in this world and in our lives that is more important than our relationship with him. He's saying that if God calls you to leave everything you have and to leave everyone you know, then he is worth it. Jesus would say in Matthew 16, verse 24 and 25, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. The call to follow Jesus is a call to live sacrificially. Jesus demands all we have. The good news is this. Not only does Jesus demand all we have, he provides all we need. God created us with a purpose. But like Adam and Eve and everyone since, we've fallen short of that purpose. We've all sinned against a holy God. And our sin leads to death. It's what the holiness and justice of God requires. But God is also a gracious and loving God who gives grace to those who have fallen. He did it in Genesis, and he's doing it today. There is much in our world that is broken And we are included in that list. Our sin has broken our fellowship with God, but God promised to repair what our sin has broken. And he always keeps his promises. He provided a sacrifice for Abraham and for Isaac. And he's provided a sacrifice that covers our sins as well. When John the Baptist saw Jesus coming toward him, he said in John 1.29, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus demands all we have and provides all we need. He's the perfect sacrifice that bears the weight of our sin. I know this morning saying Jesus demands all we have might sound like it's the wrong 
way to speak about who Jesus is and what he does in our lives. Yes, Jesus calls us to trust the promises of God. He calls us to full obedience, to complete faith, to walk with him wherever he leads, wherever he tells us to go. He demands all that we have and all that we are because he's worthy of that type of faith and that type of allegiance. Demand might have a negative connotation, but if you know Jesus today, if you've been walking with Jesus in your life, then just as Abraham knew the Lord he'd walked with for over a quarter of a century, you know what Jesus was talking about in Matthew 13, 44, when he said the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. The call to trust Jesus and to follow him is a radical call. It's a call to withhold nothing from him. And the claims that Jesus made in his ministry were bold claims. He demands all we have, but what Jesus is calling us to today is not grudging obedience to some heartless taskmaster, but the joyful pursuit of a generous king, one who demands all we have, but provides for our every need. In Paul's letter to the Philippians, he told those who had given generously toward the mission of God in the church there at Philippi. Philippians 4.19, it says, My God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. That wasn't Paul preaching a prosperity gospel that if you give money to God, then he'll make you rich on this earth. It's Paul saying there that if you are trusting in Jesus and if you're walking with him, then you are already rich because the one who called you to take up your cross and follow him is the same one who willingly went to a cross and laid down his life and was raised on the third day so that you have victory over sin and over death so that no matter what you face in this life, he will see you through it. He's a God who always keeps his promises. Abraham believed that it was possible for Isaac and Jesus has shown us that it's possible for us. God is able even to raise the dead. And the wages of our sin is death, but God promises new life, eternal life to those who trust him and turn from their sin and believe in Jesus. God keeps his promises. And so today I'll just ask you this question. Are you trusting God's promises? That's the invitation today. That's the response to what we see here in the life of Abraham in the word today. God keeps his promises. He's always faithful. Will we trust him? Will we walk with him? Will we follow him? Maybe you've never placed your faith in Jesus, and today is the day that God is calling you to do that, to trust his promises. Or maybe you find yourself today in a situation like some of those Abraham got himself into, where you started out trusting Jesus, but your faith has faltered along the way. Or maybe you feel this morning as you come into this place that your faith is weak. These are dark and difficult days. But God is still faithful. Will you trust his promises? God demanded that Abraham sacrifice his only son whom he loved. And God provided a ram for the sacrifice. And in our lives, our sin required a sacrifice. And God sent his only son so that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. Jesus demands all we are that we trust him, holding nothing back. But he provides all that we need. 
Are you trusting Jesus today? Jesus calls us to the type of faith that doesn't hold anything back. He calls us to the type of faith that produces action in our lives, that changes the way we relate to him and to one another. And so as we stand to sing this morning, I'll ask you, who does your life show that you're trusting? Is it yourself, your politics, other people, material things? There's only one this morning who always keeps his promises. Only one. So today, as we sing in response to God's word this morning, I pray that these words that we sing won't just be words that we sing in a song here and then leave to go out and live as we would have otherwise, but that this would be a time as we sing that would lead to action because we're going to sing a song this morning that says, when we walk with the Lord in the light of his word, what a glory he sheds on our way. When we do his good will, he abides with us still and with all who will trust and obey. Trust and obey for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. Let's trust and obey today the God who keeps his promises. Will you pray with me? Our Father, today we thank you and we praise you for that truth that you're a God who keeps your promises. That you're a God who is always true to your word. We know, Lord, at times we confess that we are not true to our word, Lord, that there are times when we fall short. Times even, Lord, as we look to you, Lord, and we trust you, Lord, when our faith is weak, as we take our eyes off of who you are and what you have promised to do for us and in us and through us, Lord, and we look at all of the challenges, all of the obstacles around us, Lord, we say, maybe not out loud, Lord, but in our hearts, we say, that's just not going to happen, Lord. But you, you are always faithful, Lord, even when we are not. And thank you, Lord, that your promises don't depend on our ability, our ability to bring them to fruition or our ability even to see a way that they might happen, Lord. You're a God who is able to keep your promises even when it means raising us from the dead. And so, Lord, we pray today that you would help us to trust you as you've called us to trust you, Lord, to walk with you where you've called us to go, to be who you've called us to be, to hold nothing back you demand all that we have, Lord, and provide all that we need, Lord. We thank you and we praise you and trust you in Jesus' name.